ketones themselves can actually stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Wow. So we've given given ketones and it actually can stimulate. And that's what we're talking about in today's Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Sim Lund. Our guest is Ryan Lowry from Tampa, Florida. Ryan is the president and co-founder of the Applied Science and Performance Institute, which is one of the top athletic research labs in the world. They investigate the cream of the crop the top-notch athletes from many fields. Put on your earphones and now let's delve into the world of human performance. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Ryan, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a lot, man. I'm honored and thank you for having me on. Well, the pleasure is all mine, but uh, why don't we start off with uh, some of your backstory, like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you're also a PhD student in uh, health and human performance. Yeah, so my, so my entire, kind of going back a little bit, uh, I grew up playing sports my entire life, and I, was very, I played baseball all throughout high school and into college, mm -hmm. and in college I met my now business partner, Dr. Jacob Wilson. Um, and so we met and we started doing a lot of research on human performance, how to optimize athletic performance, muscle, how to decrease fat mass, and just overall optimizing human performance. At ASPI, we engineer elite athletes using better science. There you go. We look at athletes across a wide spectrum of individuals, from uh, elite youth all the way to elite professional athletes. What draws them to the Institute is that cutting edge technology. They want the guesswork taken out of their training and their programming so they know exactly what to do to get to the next level. Push, push, push. And very early on, we started studying, I, I started looking at nutrition. He was very interested in training and I was very interested in like nutritional strategies um, to optimize body composition. And we met some of our very good colleagues, Dr. Dom D'Agostino, Dr. Jeff Volick. And it was amazing to us that these guys were eating like once or twice a day. And for anyone that knows Dr. Dom, he's got more muscle than I'll ever have in my entire life. Like he's, huge, he's a jacked guy. And, and he's eating sardines. And I was like, what's going on? Like, what is this guy doing? And come to find out, I mean, he's been studying a ketogenic diet for a long time. And we went to a conference, the National Strength and Conditioning Association conference one time, and Dr. Jeff Volick was presenting some of his data on ketogenic diets and endurance athletes. Mm. And someone stood up in the crowd, they raised their hand and they said, but Dr. Volick, what data is there on ketogenic diets and uh, like body composition in regards to like human performance and resistance training? Mm. And he goes, to be quite honest, like we don't have any. And at that time, Jacob and I looked at each other. We're like, man, we got work to do. Like this is this is our alley. Like if we're going to study this thing, we got to do it. And for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years, we've been really studying ketosis, ketogenic diet, exogenous ketones, everything in between. It's kind of awesome to see how this you have this big collection of uh, top-notch or you know uh, experts in their field, like Dom, Degasino, and uh, you guys. I would say like um, you and Dr. Jacob Wilson are like Batman and Robin 
and uh, <laughs> and uh, Don D'Agostino is like uh, D- Dr. Ban- Bannister or the Hulk, <laughs> the Hulk guy, you know, he's very chill, but at the same time he fasts for seven days, goes to the gym and... I guess going back when I really got interested in fasting, I did a seven day fast and uh, it just happened to conclude uh, right before I had to give a lecture kind of on the topic. And then I, I did go to the gym. Yeah, I, I deadlifted 500 for 10, and I uh, and I finished off with a one rep of 585 six plates. So that's so it's kind of a, you got the, quite a, a bunch in there. We have a Hulk. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's you know he's it's incredible, and you know this community and and the researchers that are studying these. I mean, Dr. Dom, Dr. Volick, Dr. Newport. I mean, there's so many incredible people who are studying this topic from a multitude of angles, mm. um, and in some essence, they all relate to human performance. Uh, not people typically think of human performance as watching these intense athletes work out and 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 do incredible things but human performance is allowing someone with parkinson's to now play with their kids like mm. that's still performance and so it's amazing of all these people who are coming together really to try and study these topics and bring some some good research and education to the world mm, yeah exactly like improving your personal performance is is first and foremost you know a matter of uh, becoming a better member of society to others and your family members and you know your work and everything you do so absolutely right kind of, kind of a foundation and the ketogenic diet is definitely something that can be applied to all those fields so so you know what's the most exciting findings and research that's coming out of your lab right now oh man we've we've done a lot um, well we published not too long ago back a couple years ago we published the first study that was ever done on ketogenic diets and resistance training. Mm -hmm. So we basically found that after, if you take individuals who are highly resistance trained actually, and we put them on a ketogenic diet for 10 weeks, we allowed them to adapt for the first two weeks, and then we had them resistance training intensely for the next eight weeks. After the 10 weeks, we found that they were able to gain just as much muscle and lose significantly more fat mass and their performance was the same as those who were on a traditional high carbohydrate diet. Mm. Uh, so this was the first time someone's ever studied that. This mm. is and 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 it it came out and people were like, oh, you had some people that were like, bullshit. Oh my gosh, like there's no way that's possible. This is ridiculous. You can't gain muscle on a ketogenic mm. diet. Then the the carb camp over there, and then yeah. you have people who are on a ketogenic diet who've been doing this for a long time and are like yep, this is no surprise, like I'm glad someone finally did this research to confirm what I've known all along. No shit. It kind of refutes a lot of the dogmas and beliefs. But, exactly. but one of the misconceptions is that the, that the, the ketogenic diet or low-carb diets, they reduce testosterone in men in particular, and you know, testosterone is one of the most important things for building muscle. So what, what do you have to say about that? That's interesting, um, because actually in our study, we found that testosterone tended to go up uh, in the individuals who are on a ketogenic diet. And I think a lot of that's contributed to you're eating a higher amount of fat, and you, now you have more cholesterol. And cholesterol is really the building blocks for testosterone. And I think oftentimes what you see in a lot of males who have low testosterone is, and you, you see it a lot in the bodybuilding fitness mm. community, is they're eating super low fat, they're eating just a ton of they're eating a high amount of protein low fat uh, high carb 
and they don't have any fat in their body to really help generate yeah. some of this testosterone. So I think it's it actually can do the counter and help tremendously. I agree that the when you when when especially on the bodybuilding community when you're going on a contest prep or something, then mm. you reduce your fat intake to zero. You reduce your carb intake to zero almost as well, and all you have left is this high amounts of protein which your body can't actually use for energy. And it's this like this famous rabbit diet or this constant starvation state where you're you know depriving your body from nutrients and that's where I, that's I believe where the you know the misconceptions arise from. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things with that, so in the like people that diet down, not even just in bodybuilding, but just people who go through extreme diets, you can see their their hormones get messed up. Like not only messed up for like a little period of time, there's been studies that have shown like hormones like testosterone can be plummeted for like six months after the fact. So like you have this plummeting of testosterone because you've been dieting, you're not eating any fat and then how long it takes for that to rebound. Mm. It's like, is that really what you're looking for? Like you're, you're destroying yourself for, for a contest or something. And then it takes, it could take you years to recover from that. It's like, well, maybe, maybe it's not so bad to have some fat in your diet to kind of help prevent some of that. Uh, and offset uh, those complications. Yeah, I think like the ketogenic diet kind of surpasses or bypasses these problems because your body still has access to its own uh, body fat all the time and you won't be in this starvation state. You actually kind of adapt to it much much more effectively to the caloric restriction. Exactly. And, and you maintain your energy levels and mental sanity as well. You don't have these binges or cravings either. Exactly right. Yeah. But what about, uh, would you recommend the ketogenic diet for someone who's very active, like who's doing CrossFit or Strongman or something something like that? Yeah, really interesting question. Um, it depends. A lot of it depends. And I get this question all the time is, should if, if I'm an athlete, should I be doing a ketogenic diet? And the thing is, there's no one thing that's going to work for everyone. Uh, there's, there's, indiv- there's individual variability. If you're a CrossFit athlete and you absolutely love carbohydrates and you can handle them well and you still have a six-pack after you ate an entire cheesecake. A big race tomorrow, so it's hard loading. You know what? Do your thing. If that, if that works for you and, and, and that's you can sustain that, and you know what? Your body's very good at handling glucose. But for the other 95% of the world um, who can't handle glucose that well. Time to carbo load. It's it's use it utilize it as you see fit. We did a study um, that just actually finished up in collaboration with our friends from Auburn University, and found that CrossFit athletes we actually took CrossFit athletes were able to lose more fat mass, maintain just as much muscle, and still improve their performance uh, on a ketogenic diet. And mm, right. uh, one of our colleagues, Rachel Gregory published a study last year that saw the same exact thing. They were able to gain just as much muscle, lose more fat mass, and performance wasn't impaired. And and both of those studies were in CrossFit athletes. Wow. I would would love to see uh, Rich Froning going on a kid as you thought next year or something. Walking season for you. (laughs) Right. And if you think about it, honestly, a lot of the CrossFit athletes eat – most of them eat paleo, right? Mm. They eat like paleo-ish. Um, but the amount of calories that these athletes are expending during their activity, like a CrossFit workout, like some of those top tier athletes are expending an insane amount of insane. calories. Like 
there's probably, even though they're eating paleo and not necessarily ketogenic, there's definitely periods throughout their training cycle and throughout their day that they're probably ketogenic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably what's helping them preserve the, a lot of muscle mass and then help improve their body composition because they're in some state of ketosis, even though they're not eating strictly ketogenic. With carbohydrates, there's this you know, sensitivity, individual sensitivity to everyone, and different people can handle different uh, amounts. But what about like the cyclical ketogenic diet or the targeted ketogenic diet? Great question. Um, cyclical is an interesting topic. Uh, and we, we actually did a study on this as well. So we looked at a lot of people say, you know what, I want to have my cake and eat it too, right? I want to, I want to go, I'll go, I'll go keto for Monday through Friday. And then on the weekend, just going to blow it out of the water. Um, well, we wanted to look at that. Is that, is that really beneficial? And so we took individuals, uh, who were on like a normal carbohydrate based diet and then either put them on a strict ketogenic all seven days of the week or allow them to eat ketogenic Monday through Friday and then carb up on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And what we found was that the cyclical group, um, were well, they, they both lost the same amount of weight, but we know that weight isn't the end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ketogenic group lost pure, almost 100% of it, what they lost was fat mass. Mm-hmm. The cyclical group lost a little bit of fat, but they lost a significant amount of muscle as well because mm-hmm. they were dieting. Yeah. And one of the reasons I believe that to be the case is we looked at blood ketones and they weren't they, they were they were in ketosis Thursday and Friday and then they'd carb up and then they wouldn't be able to get back into ketosis until like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of that following week. So they were really only keto for maybe two days mm. and they were basically what we call like sitting on the fence, like riding yeah. this curve of like you're not really keto adapted, you're not really carb adapted. Yeah. So they didn't have ketones to help preserve their muscle mass so they lost some muscle mass. Yeah, I, I remember, remember reading the study and uh, what I found interesting was that um, there are there's still like a lot of bodybuilders who do the cyclical ketogenic diet and they have like massive results from it in terms of you know building muscle and uh, being anabolic but in your study i think you the subjects they were in a caloric restriction as well so i think i, I might think like that might have been like the biggest problem and that the and that the refeeds they weren't enough they weren't big enough in a sense to uh, to promote or to to counterbalance the ketogenic periods Exactly right, and you know the other thing is this, and I think I think there are times and periods where uh, cyclical can work. Like, well, in our study, the cyclical when they carved up on the weekends, they weren't training. So there's so much still to be studied. I mean, like, if someone does a cyclical ketogenic diet and then they do they they have their carb up day on their hardest leg day. The results can be completely different because now you're actually put you couldn't utilize those carbohydrates during that training session versus just sitting and, and hanging out with your friends and, and eating pizza. I want pizza! Like yeah. completely different but there's there's just so much still to be studied like you said and it could be completely different results. Yeah and what about like the different types of exercise and ketosis? Which which type of exercise is better for boosting ketones? Great question. Another great question. High intensity interval training. So we did we did a study um, where we looked at how fast can we keto adapt someone. So most people think of keto, ad- I mean, I think keto adaptation takes several weeks to even months to fully get keto adapted. You're still making adaptations months after you've been mm. on the diet. 
But how quickly can someone get an elevation in their own endogenous production of ketones? Uh, we wanted to look at how fast you can make that happen. And what we, we took two groups, and we had one group do resistance training plus steady state cardio, mm -hmm. and another group do resistance training plus high intensity interval training. And the type of high intensity interval training that we do in our lab is uh, something called Wingate. Push, push, push. No. Uh, which are brutal. <laughs> and so it's like you pedal all out as fast as you can. And then when you hit a certain revolution, weight drops. And now it's just high force, high velocity at the same time. You can't go more than 30 seconds mm -hmm. or else you're just going to be crawling on the ground for, for a long time. And so we basically found that the, the individuals who did resistance training plus high-intensity interval training were able to really get an elevation in ketones within like four days of being on a ketogenic diet um, versus the other group. It took them like a week and a half, two weeks to really get adapted. So a lot, of times, a lot of times people say, hey, during the adaptation period, take it easy, you know, transition in. Well, maybe it might be beneficial to just like hit it hard, like mm. go after it as hard as you can to try and adapt as fast as possible. It, well, at the same time, it kind of depends on from which, what kind of a diet you're coming from. If you're eating the standard, standard American diet and you're constantly bombarding yourself with carbohydrates and first you restrict carbohydrates, then you do this intense exercise, then you're going to put yourself into a very fuel-deprived state and that might lead to too much catabolism or in a sense. Right, right. 100% yeah. agree. Yeah. But you also published a book with Dr. Wilson called The Ketogenic Bible, and it was like very well received by the community. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that one? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so we got asked uh, a couple of years ago to basically put together a comprehensive book that covers everything. Um, surrounding ketosis and we've been blessed and fortunate enough to be surrounded by incredible people and colleagues that are studying so many different areas that helped us out with this so we're like you know what like there really needs to be a resource for everyone because there's mm -hmm. ketogenic cookbooks there's so many ketogenic cookbooks there's books on like how to get started on a ketogenic diet but there's nothing really diving into some of the research like mm -hmm. what about a ketogenic diet for autism what about for cancer what about for uh diabetes like no one really dove into that and so we're like you know what we're going to take on that challenge and so we go through everything from the history like where did it start all the way through the performance data that we just talked about all the way through practical applications for something like cancer or diabetes and then we included some some of our favorite recipes in there as well mm, yeah it's it's pure gold i recommend everyone to check it out on amazon it's a thank one, you one, it's truly like a ketogenic bible <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the best things about the ketogenic diet, in my opinion, is like the mental clarity and focus. So how do you think uh, writing the book in ketosis affected the writing process? Oh, I think, I mean, it helped tremendously. I mean, there was long hours, early mornings, late nights, really just trying to dive into the research to make sure we understood everything and could relay that message for people that they could understand it, right? Because it's one thing for us to understand research, but it's another thing to help take up, chew it up, and then spit it out so people can understand it and then apply it themselves. But we know that like, being in a state of ketosis can tremendously help mental clarity, focus, things like that. You don't 
usually you have people who are eating carbohydrates all the time and they're on this roller coaster of ups and downs and it's like every two hours you're like looking for a protein or granola bar and you're like oh my gosh like my glucose is getting low have some ice cream. <gasps> when you're really on when you're dialed in on a well-formulated ketogenic diet like i can go hours and hours on end and just be like Oh wow, yeah, I should probably eat now. Like now's now's a good time. It's it's yeah. totally different from what I used to eat like. It's liberating in, in a sense. Yes. But yes. Uh, we all we already talked about the misconceptions about exercise and building muscle, but what are some what are some of the other misconceptions that you addressed in the book? You know, one of the things that people talk a lot about is your body your body needs glucose. Your body absolutely needs glucose. And I say to that, I go, you're right. You're absolutely right. Your body needs glucose. But the amazing thing about it is our bodies are very good at making its own. Mm -hmm. uh, so I look, the way I like to look at and I don't like to I don't demonize carbohydrates by any means, but I like to look at carbohydrates as a tool. Mm. They're not necessary by any means. Like you can thrive and live off of uh, not not consuming a ton of carbohydrates, but they're a tool, and mm. I think some athletes can utilize them as a tool. But eating five, six, seven hundred grams of carbohydrates per day, which is what most people like that are eating yeah. like standard American diets, or even some of these athletes, it's just unnecessary. So yeah. it's understanding that our body can utilize a different form of fuel, and those are ketones, and look at carbohydrates as a tool. You don't necessarily – they don't need to be demonized, but you look at them as a tool and say, hey, you know what? If I'm trying to optimize my life or someone in my family's life, maybe you're like, I don't I don't need to eat well. But if you're trying to help your parents or your brother or your sister, maybe that's getting that understanding across that maybe I can utilize a different fuel source and it can be beneficial for them. Mm. thing that you said was that uh, your body does indeed need glucose. Like your brain needs a certain amount of it every day, but uh, the amount of it – it's it gets you know very much reduced when you're in ketosis your your demand for glucose and the energy in general gets reduced and the, even fat can be you know converted into glucose as well through the process of gluconeogenesis but the, but at the same time the gluconeogenesis process is also uh, people associated with you know turning converting protein into sugar which is you know seen as a bad thing you know what what is the right protein intake on keto Oh man, this is a this is a controversial question. Something that gets brought up a lot um, is how much protein should I have and how much is too much. You know, here's the thing: is that on a ketogenic diet, it's supposed to be a moderate amount of protein. Um, the way I look at it is, you want to optimize it on a per meal basis. Um, in order to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, we know anywhere from 20 to 30 to potentially even up to 40 grams of high-quality protein stimulate that muscle protein synthesis response. The biggest thing that, that we've learned and working with a lot of our colleagues, especially people who are using it therapeutically, even for things like cancer or some of these other aspects, is – it's good. A lot of people take it to the extremes with keto. They're like, I need to restrict protein super low. Yeah. Well, at those low levels, for some therapeutic applications, maybe. But at that low levels, I know a lot of females, for instance, who are eating like 50 grams of protein a day and you see deficiencies. There's yeah. definitely deficiencies that come along with that. And granted, even though the ketogenic diet is protein sparing, 
you still need to consume an adequate amount of protein. So it's it's working with what works with your lifestyle, with with what you can consume. But I'd be I'd err, I'd I'll tell people to err more on the side of eat more than mm-hmm. not less. Um, your body your body's not going to just instantly turn that protein into glucose, and you're going to get these yeah. huge insulin spikes, and you're knocked out of ketosis. Shit, that's not going to happen unless you're eating copious yeah. or large large amounts of protein. All of it. Um, I'd err on the side of more, not less. Yeah, so it's not like steak into cake in your bloodstream. Mm. <laughs> Exactly. But you mentioned like protein deficiencies or something. What what would be some signs everyone could recognize? Yeah, so a lot of people see um like hair like hair loss is one that we see we see commonly. You can just see it um in in somewhat like a lot of people are start losing muscle mm. and they start like you can see their 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 they start shriveling up in some aspect mm. and they're like well oh i'm losing weight well no a lot of that could be could be muscle tissue and we we've seen that some of our colleagues have done studies with like cancer and epilepsy where they've restricted protein to like under 10% to try and get ketones high enough for those conditions mm-hmm. um but oftentimes with that you start to see some of the the complications that come with protein deficiency um that come along with that we must what what I mm-hmm. what I would like to see is a study where you know how big of a caloric deficit could you maintain while still making performance improvements, whether in building strength and muscle, while still having you know uh, while being in deep ketosis or using some sort of you know exogenous ketones or something like that. It would be quite interesting to see how big of a deficit could you maintain while still making progress. That's a it's a really interesting question and something we need to research because. We've actually done research um, in collaboration with Auburn University looking at ketones themselves can actually stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Wow. So we've given, given ketones and it actually can stimulate. And so not only are, might they be anabolic for mm. building, but also we know that ketones themselves preserve like leucine and some of the important amino acids from being broken down. So if you're preserving leucine from being broken down, not only do you have potentially the anabolic nature of ketones for stimulation, but you're preserving muscle degradation um, with ketones as well. It's, it's a pretty unique fuel source. Yes, ketones are almost like the fourth macronutrient. A lot of people are referencing to that as well. Absolutely, I agree. What's the role of sodium and electrolytes in the utilization of ketones? Because a lot of the exogenous ketones and ketoesters, they have a lot of a ton of electrolytes in them as well. What's the rule in that? Yeah. So what happens is when people are on a ketogenic diet, uh, they you tend to excrete out more sodium, especially, but a lot of the other electrolytes as well. Um, the main reason behind that is because you're lowering insulin. Um, so your body tends to pull more sodium with the water you excrete it out when you're eating and you're like salting up your food like crazy. They're like, oh my gosh, isn't that bad? I'm you're like, gonna get a heart nope. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, nope, it's, it's actually the opposite. Um, but I, we encourage more electrolytes because you need them. You're excreting them out at such a rapid rate. So things like exogenous ketones, it's good that they have those electrolytes in them to help someone who is on a ketogenic diet help replenish those um, significantly. And so that way they can take them in and utilize them. Dom D'Agostino is also very, uh, he does a lot of research with exogenous ketones. Have, what, what kind of research have you done with him? 
So we've done research on exogenous ketones, looking at everything from perform like performance, like fatigue. Um, we found that ketones themselves, even on people who aren't on a ketogenic diet, can help buffer some fatigue. Mm. Um, there's some possible reasons why, but um, that we're looking into, but potentially allowing someone to go further without stalling out. Mm. Um, we've done stuff on like visual, like reaction time, cognitive aspects. We've seen improvements. Um, we've done animal studies looking at every, like longevity, literally giving these animals ketones their entire lives and seeing if it affects longevity. And there's some, there's some promising data showing that it, it actually may. Um, and then also the last part is therapeutically. We're, we're looking uh, a lot right now at Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, um, like I said, uh, infl inflammatory conditions and looking at exogenous ketones because of their anti-inflammatory nature, either with or in combination with a ketogenic diet can be beneficial for these individuals. Mm, yeah, these exogenous ketones, they're like, they have so, so many applications, you know, performance, health, longevity, cognition, but uh, what's the difference between endogenous and exogenous ketones? Mm, great question. So endogenous, the way I like to explain it is endogenous means inside of your body. So your body's making ketones via breaking down fat, um, like when, for instance, when you consume MCTs, medium chain triglycerides, they rapidly get broken down into ketone bodies. Um, and so you get an elevation in your blood. When you're on a ketogenic diet, that's how ketones are made. Exogenous ketones, on the other hand, exo meaning outside, they're consumed via a drink um, uh, or some kind of powder, and those are consumed. The difference, they, they, have, they have a lot of the same properties. One comes alongside the diet, the other one comes alongside of consuming them orally. Both of them result in elevation of ketones in your blood and, and basically achieving the state of ketosis. Mm. Wow, but how does, how does keto adaptation change your uh, blood ketone readings? Uh, like for instance, uh, I'm, I've been doing the ketogenic diet for three years or something like that and uh, I'm not getting that high readings as I used to because because I think like my body is using those ketones for energy instead of flooding them in the bloodstream. Yes, you're absolutely right. We see that all the time. I'm the same exact way. Like uh, people will come in and we talk about this in the book a little bit and that's why I said don't go don't go chasing ketones. Like a lot of people will battle. They'll be like, "Oh, I'm at 2.5 millimole, people that are like on a ketogenic diet be like, I'm at 2.5 millimole and you're only at like one millimole and it's like, <laughs> because I am better. It does, it, it, that could mean, does 2.5 mean that you're better? Like that you're, like yeah, it could really. be worse. Like it could be maybe <laughs> that like your body's not utilizing them as, as efficiently yeah, exactly. as, as I am. And I've, we've, we've had this conversation with Dr. Dom often is that maybe uh, people who have been fat adapted for an extended period of time, their body is able to take up and utilize ketones at a much rapid rate um, than someone who isn't on it, who hasn't been on it for that long, or someone who just started a ketogenic diet. So, I mean, my levels fluctuate anywhere from like 0.6 to to 1.2. Like, I I really never go over 1.2 unless I'm taking exogenous ketones along with it. Yeah, like. For, I'm, I'm kind of somewhere around there as well. And for instance, when I when I did like this uh, three-day fast recently, I, I my blood ketones were at 1.4, 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, 1.8, 1.9, 1.10, 1.11, 1.12, 1.13, 1.14, 1.15, 1.16, 1.17, 1.18, 
which isn't that high in a sense, but it was yeah. still, you know, quite elevated. There's so many individual aspects to it. But uh, yeah. at the moment, I wanted to, you know, talk about some of other supplements that, you know, affect your insulin sensitivity and blood sugar levels, as well as ketosis, something that doesn't apply just to the ketogenic diet. Like I've made, I've seen that you've done some research on berberine as well. Mm. I'm a big fan of berberine. Um, I think berberine's great. So berberine can it stimulates something known as AMPK, and AMPK is like our cell's fuel gauge. When AMPK gets triggered, it basically lets the body know, hey, uh, we don't have much fuel. Let's let's uh, dispose of uh, let's let's get dispose of some glucose and let's turn up fat metabolism in essence. Um, berberine is a great supplement. It help. It's, there's been a ton of data that have shown that berberine can help lower blood glucose levels, uh, even after consume. Like if you take it with a meal, it'll help lower blood glucose levels. Yeah. One of the challenges is making sure you're getting a high quality form of berberine. There's a lot of berberine supplements out there, and sometimes they're they don't test out like they should. Um, so getting a high quality form of berberine is going to be extremely important if you're implementing it like with your meals. I, I like to use it definitely as a tool to utilize as well. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great one. But what about uh, some other supplements that people talk about like metformin or, or, or D-ribose? Interesting, yeah. So metformin is uh, an interesting one as well. Uh, there's been some data on – there's been a tremendous amount of data looking at that, that one's more prescription um, versus berberine, which is more supplement. Mm -hmm. um, and so metformin, there's uh, people use that therapeutically all the time. Like diabetics typically get prescribed metformin to help lower their blood glucose. There's been some data that shows that berberine, if given at the right dosage in the right form, can be just as effective, if not more effective, than something like metformin mm, yeah. um, because metformin also can come alongside some – there can be some uh, side effects of taking metformin that can come along with it after chronic repeated use. So potentially altering – like going for something more of like the natural approach of something like a berberine supplement mm. could be just as effective as something like uh, metformin. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like even even using some cinnamon or turmeric, something like that. That is that is also going to you know suppress insulin and help you to maintain stable blood sugar levels. Because I think like insulin and uh, blood sugar are like one of the most important things you would want to focus on your on your nutrition. I agree. So so what does your own day of eating look like? Great question. So usually, I mean, throughout the day, uh, throughout the week, um, I usually fast. In the morning until about one or two o'clock in the afternoon, um, and then at that time, I'll usually consume like a huge protein fat shake. Um, one, it has a ton of volume, so I blend it up so it's got a ton of volume, and it basically just has uh, like 30 grams of protein. I put some MCTs in it. Sometimes I'll put some like flaxseed or or, or or some coconut powder in it or something like that, and that holds me over through dinner because I'm in meetings all day. I'm doing stuff that I just literally have that while I'm at work. And then when I get home, I mean, I usually have I don't know, some, ch some sort of meat, steak, chicken salad, bacon, something. Um, and then I usually have like vegetable vegetables and a side salad. Um, and sometimes 
if I'm feeling like, you know what, I'm still hungry, I'll have like, uh, I'll, I, I, make, I love making low-carb keto desserts all the time, so I'll have something before I go to bed. I've seen a few of your Instagram posts and stories about these amazing uh, keto-licious cakes or some, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't imagine that they're ketogenic, but they are. So, <laughs> so it, 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 it comes to show that like, people are constantly trying to innovate and uh, make the keto diet more appealing, more appealable to the uh, masses as well. I mean, I've had friends and family that are that even um, for Thanksgiving recently, I had a lot of family members over, and we were we were eating, and I didn't even tell them. I'm like, hey, I'll prepare Thanksgiving, and like I made like a cauliflower mashed instead nice. of like mashed potatoes and most people were like oh these taste different but like these are really good and I'm like yeah. yes because rather than have a ton of mashed potatoes they were eating cauliflower mash and they loved it yeah. um, so it's, it's about finding alternatives to high carbohydrate foods yeah like people they actually don't want the food itself they want this uh, let's say cultural uh, like cultural meaning or a cultural uh, association with it of being in this in this uh, family gathering together and uh, eating this this you know traditional food that that's that's what they actually want not the not the 70 grams of carbohydrates that comes from potatoes or something like that you know exactly right so, so where do you think the ketogenic diet will go in the future man I, it's it's incredible to see how much it's exploded over the last year and a half um, but I, I just think we're, we're just getting started for where it's going. I mean, it's starting to hit other countries. It's, it's literally spreading throughout the entire world now. And more and more people are hearing about this ketosis thing. Like, what is it? How can it help? A lot of celebrities are now jumping on board that we know of that are, that are kind of just doing it for the, not only the body composition, but the like longevity and health benefits. Uh, in general as well, but I think it's going to explode. I, th I think it's going to continue growing. I think podcasts like this and, and getting the message out there is going to be key to helping educate and get people to understand, wow, maybe I, I don't need to have that many carbohydrates all the time. And then on top of that, the exogenous ketones and where they're going and they're kind of just exploding onto mm. the market. I mean, that's going to help foster the conversation to at least allow people to, to hear about ketosis and hear about ketones and then hopefully adopt the entire lifestyle along with it. Mm, yeah, it's very ex exciting times to be in doing these kinds of research and uh, especially being in the field yourself. So what would, what would be like the purpose of your research and the institute? You know what? Our mission here at ASPI is, is purely to change people's lives through science and innovation. And the way to do that, and we, we came from a background in academics, we spent several years uh, at the university, and then we, we now created the Applied Science and Performance Institute. And the main reason why we did that was so often in the research community, there's incredible papers, incredible publications that come out, and all they do is sit on someone's shelf. That's all they do. They'll, they, they'll never get out to the masses. And it's like that research could really help someone. That could, if, that could, if that research helped one person, it would be way better than just sitting and collecting dust on the shelf. Mm. So our goal at ASPI is literally to take a lot of this research, a lot of this education, and help disseminate it and get it out to the masses 
and we're doing that on social media and at presentations at conferences is help get this information out to more people so that way they can understand it and really apply it because if we're doing this research and it can't apply to anyone and it can't be taught to anyone else then it's all for nothing because if it can't help anyone then what good is it useless machines and if we don't come out with these uh, kinds of research then we, we're going to still have these massive limiting beliefs as human beings as well useless machines starting to reach the end of the show as well and i'm going to ask you my last questions from you what has been the most impactful practice or this tip or advice that you've used to improve your body and your mind so let's say like one for each your body and your mind you know i i'll say for my body it's really been like you said, you, you hit, I love the word you used earlier, liberating. Um, it's understanding that living in a state of ketosis and uh, allowing flexibility in your life, I never, I was never a person who dieted. I, I fortunately, because I grew up an athlete, I mean, I was one of those guys that people used to hate because I could eat anything. I could eat fast food, I could eat anything, and I couldn't put on weight. And my coaches would be like, you got to eat more, you got to eat more. And I'm, I'm drinking weight gainer shakes and everything, and I couldn't put on weight. But as soon as I stopped playing sports, that completely changed. My metabolism changed. I, I started putting on weight pretty fast, and I was like, shit, wow, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and so really understanding, you know what, I want to stay flexible with my nutrition. And living in a state of ketosis has allowed me that that sustainability of something that it's a lifestyle now. It's not something I would ever be like, oh, I'm on a ketogenic diet. It's like now I'm living a ketogenic lifestyle, and it's it's I I'm, I'm flexible with how I do it. That's been liberating for me. Um, and then for mind, you know, there's there's two things. Is that um, one being able to surround yourself with the right people has been a tremendous incredible experience for me and and I am completely the product of my environment and pulling the right people in and staying positive throughout the entire experience um, is huge a huge huge factor and I think allowing people to understand that everything in life is dictated by your perspective um, understanding other people's perspective if someone gets mad or angry at you it's that's their perspective and in the research world that we come from there's people who love the research that we do there's people that hate the research that we do and it takes an active conscious decision to go you know what that's their perspective but I'm so focused on positivity and helping change people's lives that I am purely focused over here that it doesn't matter what any, anyone can say anything from over here and it won't phase me because I have such an incredible crew and crowd around me that's advocating for the positivity that to me that's, that's what truly matters. You have to maintain this beginner's mind and uh, you have to stay humble and uh, acknowledge the fact that you actually don't know nothing that you're you're a student, like like we all of us. Like life is a constant process of learning all the time. Study always, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, where can people find more about you and your work? You know, uh, we do a lot. I post a lot on Instagram, uh, and that's at Ryan P Lowry. 
um, R-Y-A-N-P-L-O-W-E-R-Y. And you could add me on on Facebook as well, Ryan Lowry. And our institute is theaspie.com, www.theaspie.com. And I I love talking, interacting with people. I mean, we've messaged a ton. I love hearing back because that's how you collaborate. I mean, that's how you really learn and understand what's going on in, in people's lives and how you can ultimately help improve them. To me, that's that's the fulfillment that I look for every single day. To grow as uh, as a collective and as the entire human race. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, definitely looking forward to more of your research and uh, what you're doing in the future. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. The honor is all mine. And, and keep crushing it. I appreciate everything you're putting out. I'm glad that everyone tuned in today, and I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks. Alright, that's a wrap. Make sure you check out the research of Ryan and definitely read the Kiddushik Bible. By the time you read this. But if you want to support this podcast, then make sure you leave us a review on iTunes and other social media platforms. But other than that, I want to thank you for listening. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.